Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news. Our series began as an awkward forced fun time for the power department one year ago. Let that sink in. This episode will not be a sentimental highlight reel of deleted scenes from the last year, of which there are many. It also won't be the oral history of how it evolved from a game of scribble doodle jingle to a forum to chat with public power officials about niche topics that are, are extremely entertaining to an extremely small group of electric utility enthusiasts. Nor will it be a TikTok of the events leading up to the altered work arrangements at the start of an ongoing pandemic. Our favorite basketball podcast, The Low Post with host Zach Lowe, did a great March 11th, 2021 podcast about March 11th, 2020, which we recommend as a pop culture rundown of this time last year. This is extremely disjointed. (laughs) We are, however, going to start the show with a Ted Lasso-inspired halftime speech by the manager of not AFC Richmond, but Klatskanai People's Utility District's Power Department, Paul Dockery. We had to change. And look, I know change is hard. One minute, we're having lunch at El Tapatio, eating, sharing chips and salsa out of the same bowl, not double dipping, mind you. We use one bowl for all of us. The next minute, we're doing awkward force fun time on department meeting Zooms and figuring out how to use Giphy's on Slack. Tell you what, those community gifts are still some of the best content we've had on Slack. And I know what y'all thought. Power department? Doing a podcast? What are they thinking? They aren't that interesting. We aren't that interesting. Most of the time, change is a good thing. I think that's what it's all about. Embracing change being brave, being resilient, doing whatever you have to do so that you can keep providing low-cost electric service to your customers. Maybe it's the only way you can truly promote Plug Pass. Yeah, obviously by Plug Pass, I was referring to electric utility-owned electric vehicle charging program. Team, we got more topics to cover on this podcast. Y'all are doing a great job. We know exactly what to do. We're going to keep doing it, at least for this week. We'll see how far it actually lasts, okay? But we're gonna keep doing it for this week. Oh, hey, 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 I got one last thing. I want all your eyes on me while I say this. That was a video of a bold and confident man who leaves the door open while he records his speech. All right, Anyone's everybody put your hands in the moment. middle. We're going to do a CPUD on three. One, two, three, CPUD. <laughs> I was going to compare you to Zach Lowe on this podcast at some point, because I think there are some real, uh, real similarities, but you just nailed Ted Lasso and I can't even think about anything other than the Ted Lasso speech. For those listening to the podcast without the benefit of visual aids, like me, Paul ended the speech with a visual bit in an audio format which is ludicrous. I'm not even sure I know what that means. We apologize for that. If you want to get the full effect of the bit, drop by our YouTube page by searching for Public Power Underground. Let's go. On today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest Power Markets on air reports. Talk to Tacoma Public Utilities Power Management Officer Clay Norris about CAISO's extended day ahead market initiative, 
Discuss electrification of loads with eWeb's power planning and midterm trading supervisor, Megan Capper, and cover a few other public power and public power adjacent news topics. I'm the voice of the underground, Brian Fawcett. Joining me is the editor-in-chief of Public Power Underground and the leader of the power department, our own Ted Lasso, Paul Dockery. The greatest compliment you could have given me is referring to me as your Ted Lasso. I'm so honored. Really excited about the week. Let's go do it. Yeah. Also, joining us is the star of Aaron Reports and co-star of Public Power Underground, financial analyst, Aaron Guillory. Good afternoon, Aaron. Good afternoon, Brian Fawcett. <laughs> Excited to be here. Oh, I was sorry, I was trying to get just give you a little crap, like when you go to a basketball game of which we haven't been able to do, and the opposing team scores, and they're just like LeBron James for two. Oh man, it's fine. We're on a roll today. Uh, it, it's a it's a um, misconstrued roll. I thought that comment about the length of leads was aimed at me. That was that hmm, Giffy or Jiffy or whatever we decided on kind of situation. It may have been, but at the same time, if you notice, I just compared you to LeBron James, so you shouldn't oh, be feeling too bad. You know what? Awesome. It's a good day. It's a good day to be in the pod. Our other co-star of Public Power Underground, get ready for it, the coding wizard of R and Python, our resident Genesis apprentices, a Reddit user, Banjalele Virtuoso, trained linguist, a dark age of Camelot mending pacifying healer, credentialed stack overflow contributor, a lieutenant in the grammar police, and current power analyst, Ian, the neural network Bledsoe. Thanks for being here, Ian. Thanks, Brian. Three things. It's niche, it's giffy, and it's definitely banjo-lele, not banjo-lele. All right. I will fix the banjo-lele. I'm just glad glad that you uh, brought the niche thing back up because I did go to Google. I clicked on the button that reads it to you. They're out loud, and it was definitely niche. No, it's definitely niche. Uh, it's wrong. I mean, Google's wrong. Uh, Ian's wrong. Our grammar police. It's it's niche. I mean, how did I know that that was going to be your for this? Google is wrong. <laughs> hey, Google is not the authority on all of all of time and all of all of language. You know, that's true. But you can't the, just rely uh, on it. Trained linguist on my screen that is directly above you. And grammar police lieutenant. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. No more no more titles. It, that could be its That's own That's a fifteen dollar fine, Guillory. Its own segment. <laughs> <laughs> we're having fun already. Okay. <laughs> Up next we're checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Air Reports. Right, catch my cadence here, folks. <clears throat> this is Aaron Reports, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators for March 18th, 2021. I'm Aaron Guillory, and I've got your market update for the week. April September flows at the Dow's are expected to be at 93% normal. No change from last week at flow at the Dow's peaked over the past week at 155.5 KCFS on March 17th at 0600 hours. Midday elevation at Grand Coulee on March 17th was 1272, down a little over a foot and a half since reported last week as outflows increased from a peak of 136.6 KCFS on March 11th at 0700 hours to peak at flow of 141.1 
KCFS on March 16th at 0800 hours. Checking in on the snow in the region using Anstrogy's aggregation of basin data. The snow water equivalent for BC Hydro Generation Basin is 113.12% of normal for mid-sea, 106.52%. And aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River Basin that'll flow through Bonneville Dam, they estimate there is a 117.16% of normal snow blanket. Spot market power in the north, Northwest for delivery for uh, March 18th is at 26.27 with gas at 237 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $9.68 and a heat rate of 12 grand. In term markets, be, uh, bomb. <laughs> okay, for mid-sea, uh, inside joke there, sorry about that. In term markets, bomb for mid-sea has dropped 70 cents from a week ago to 27.94 uh, dollars per megawatt hour. Mid-sea power for Q3 2021 is at $82.25 with Suvis gas at 2.714, translating to a heat rate of 30,000. In bond markets in the last six months, one California water district issued two sets of two different bonds. The district issued one set of two revenue certificates of participation bonds with 41765000 due between 2022 and 2041 with an interest rate of 5% an average yields of 89 BIPs and a taxable borrowing of 81,560,000 with balances due between 2022 and 2037 with average interest rates and yields of 141 BIPs and a term bond due June 2041 at an interest rate and yield of 277 BIPs. We're back to reporting fish this week. Woo! Monday, 36 steelhead passed through the lower granite dam down 29 from last Monday. Uh, uh, spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority peak load this past week was 8,448. March 16th at 8.10 in the a.m. During loads peak, hydrogen was at 10,838. Wind gen was 493 megawatts. Conventional units at 11.99. And nuclear was at 11.62. This week in NOAA climate forecasts, the 6 to 10 day outlook has temp in the region with layers in the normal range and 33 to 50% chance of being below normal while precipitation is partly in the normal range with some areas in the 33 to 70% chance of being below and likelihood increasing as you head west to the coast. Currently conveyed are some areas in the normal range, some in the normal and the northwest tip of the US with a 33 to 40% chance of being below and others with a 33 to 50% probability of being above in their outlook through their 90 day report. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Brian. Thanks, Aaron. I'm, uh, I'm going to make a request for next week, even though I'm not going to be here next week. Here for it. Spring Chinook over Bonneville Dam. Okay. Spring Chinook over Bonneville Dam. Love it. It's obviously, there's not a lot going, but that in the next couple of months, that's going to be the big thing for fishermen. Thank Is you. it the Spring Chinook adult, Jack, or I guess that's it. Spring Chinook adult or Jack? And what's adult. the difference? A jack is uh, basically a spring chinook that returned very early. So they're, I believe, less than 24 inches. It's usually an indicator of the next year's run. Okay. Interesting. Because they're of that brood, they, they, but they returned a year early before they fully matured. Very interesting. So are we cutting, she reports on what's lower granite normally. So we're cutting the lower granite. That doesn't matter this time of year. Correct. I will, uh, I will get with Aaron and give her a rundown of uh, the fish timing and, and uh, which dams to look at. Awesome. Perfect. I would love that. I feel like I have a bunch of scattered notes from our conversations and emails. Lower granite <laughs> will question, definitely faucet? come back in the fall, though. That is the important one in September or October. Awesome. 
Thank you. I love it. That's some value-added commentary from Klatskin IPUD's economic development manager. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say as a fisherman. <laughs> another note on follow-up to Aaron reports um, for utilities that are looking to potentially do any advanced refundings and take advantage of some lower um, uh, potential to lower their debt service costs. Um, there is an infrastructure bill that's being reintroduced uh, for legislation at this point to review the potential to remove the um, uh, tax requirement that was added by the 2017 uh, tax Cuts and Jobs um, Act that may be reinstated and those may become tax exempt again. So watch the news for that. Thanks, Aaron. That's a, that's a good add-on. Um, we should try to get some bond uh, experts to come on and talk about this segment, uh, this portion of your segment too. Absolutely. Very interesting topic. Very important for electric utilities. Yeah. Okay. What's next? All right. Next up is our weekly walkthrough, Northwest Public Power and Public Power Adjacent News, and a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. All right. BPA's March 16th EIM implementation workshop began at 9.04 with a safety moment that honored Stephanie Kolek, a chemical pioneer who invented Kevlar, which is widely used in PPE. Many areas of interest were covered in the workshop, but the meat of the discussion was on BPA's examination of the deemed delivered methodology used in the energy imbalance market for participants that elect to provide sales through the EIM to California. Laura Trelise, senior policy analyst for BPA, led discussion and highlighted that CAISO's and the California Air Resource Board's methodology for deemed delivered greenhouse gas accounting are flawed. They're known to be flawed and the participants are attempting to resolve the known flaws through public processes. The heart of the question is whether the flaw is enough to prevent BPA from monetizing a net 4.4 million per year benefit by electing to provide direct sales through the EIM, or whether BPA should forego that benefit to prevent the impact on its system emissions calculated by the California Air Resources Board. BPA is leaning towards participating uh, to learn more about how the flaw will impact their operations, knowing that the election to sell directly to California through the AIM is one that can be changed hourly. Many more topics were covered, but this debrief is already too long. The meeting ended at 1158 after a series of questions from participants and BPA soliciting feedback by March 30th by sending comments through email to techforum at bpa.gov. So this is a topic that during the lead up to all the workshops leading up to the their decision document, um, this was covered and discussed in the region. And I had formed an opinion that Bonneville should not uh, do these sales to California until this deemed delivered mechanism was fixed. But Bonneville has done a good job of communicating, you know, the the trade-off, as Ian highlighted, between you know this incremental benefit of about $4.4 million per year and gaining experience on what this would actually mean instead of the methodology they're currently using is just an E3 studied and kind of some hypotheses. So I'm coming around. I would be happy to hear other people's perspective if you want to send it to me or if you want to chat sometime. Um, but I'm coming around to Bonneville's pitch that maybe it makes sense to try. CBS News reported earlier this week some good news coming from Independence County, Arkansas, more specifically Batesville School District. Batesville went from ranking next to last in their part of the state in average teacher salaries, fielding consistent resignations and few applicants to using utility cost savings by way of solar power generation sales to increase every teacher's salary by up to 15000 a year. 
as district superintendent Michael Hester said, uh, people aren't in the business, obviously, for the money, but they should not have to take a vow or they should not have a vow to poverty to teach either. CBS reported that solar power implementation costs have decreased nearly 89% in the past decade as panels have become cheaper, cheaper to produce. And true to their mascot, Batesville School District appears to have pioneered the use of solar output sales to offset utility bills and further to turn the savings into payroll increases. As someone who loves the rain, I would emphasize what longtime Batesville teacher uh, Jeannie Repke declared, the sun's gonna be shining anyway, so why not cash in on that? Uh, cash in on that. The district did exactly that, now fielding more applicants and fewer resignations and paying savings forward to its teachers. To learn more, visit cbsnews.com. Aaron, as a, uh, as a grammar police lieutenant, uh, this person from Arkansas, I don't believe there's any way she said shining. She must have said shining. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. so can you, uh, can you, can you approximate that, re rephrase that sentence in then using the shining? The sun's going to be shining anyway. Moving on from that one. Tacoma Public Utilities Power Management Officer and Klatskanite PUD Power Manager Emeritus, Clay Norris, agreed to talk to us about the current state of Kaiso's Extended Day Ahead Market Initiative to get up to speed on what's going on and what's ahead. Hi, Clay. Welcome to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Do you recognize the office? You are one of the predecessors of Klatskanite oh PUD's Power Department. Yes. yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't even thinking about that until you mentioned it. But yes, yeah, it's, uh, I am honored to, you know, sit in a seat you once held. It's a great honor for me. Um, glad to have you on. It's been a year since we've altered work arrangements. You're working from home. How, how have you been yeah. coping for the, for the past year? You know, for me, it's, uh, it's been uh, fairly easy. Uh, I've got a great team. The work is still getting done. And uh, unlike some uh, employees, I don't have small children at home. Uh, and uh, so I know it's really stressful for, uh, for young parents uh, these days uh, or people that are trying to care for uh, uh, elderly parents or others. So, it, you know, most, I think most people have really enjoyed working from home and having that flexibility. Uh, but it's been stressful. Yeah, it's been stressful. It's been a balance for us. Um, and I think you make the great point. Uh, you know, I have a great team as well. Um, and it's really helpful as a manager to have a team of competent people that can keep doing their work. Uh, it's been yeah. great. Uh, but I keep saying on these things, like leadership during this time is incredibly difficult. So I know you manage like a team managers of people. So make sure you give them all the credit because it is hard <laughs> to manage people. Yes, it is. Um, and since over the past year, I've felt really disconnected from the EDAM discussion. It seems like in like 2019, I was getting kind of teed in, started to understand what the process was. Um, and then in 2020, it kind of fell off of my priority. And it seems like maybe it fell off of Kaiso's calendar as well as summer readiness stepped in. I was wondering yeah. if you could kind of level set, wh where are we and where are we going? <laughs> it's a great question, Paul. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, so, you know, let me start with a little bit of history. Um, we decided to join uh, EIM, uh, Energy and Balance Market, about two years ago. 
right about now, I think. And by the time okay. we got through the board and all, it was a little later in the year. Um, but um, we were really eager uh, to get the documents signed because we knew that the EIM entities were meeting, talking about what this uh, structure would look like for an extended day ahead market. Yeah. And we didn't want to be, uh, we didn't want to be in the dark. Uh, we wanted to, to have some influence over that uh, if possible. And, uh, you know, we didn't, didn't want it to be like EIM was where, you know, Pacific Corp and California just worked out all the details themselves and they were the first ones to join. And then it was anybody who wants to join, just accept what's there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, um, I was eager to get at the table. And one of the issues is uh, to make sure conversation is free flowing. Uh, the EIM entities have a non-disclosure agreement. And um, so I have to be a little circumspect about what I say. I think most of this is public uh, knowledge. Um, but uh, one of the things I learned was uh, while the EIM entities have a pretty good skeleton of what this could look like, uh, there's tons of details that are still to be figured out. Um, this is not an easy thing. Um, you know, most of us in the Northwest are very familiar with uh, the open access transmission tariff approach to uh, marketing and right. bilateral arrangements. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, I actually remember when FERC uh, passed uh, Order 888. It was such, such a radical thing. You know? so, <laughs> and uh, even though I wasn't directly involved, some of my friends were involved trying to figure out how to parse out the costs of generators into these different buckets and you know and they would laugh because it's just so silly uh, <laughs> but uh, but anyway I digress um, it's hard to balance uh, these two worlds in, a, in an RTO world um, you know it's it's so different because you're not managing transmission paths you are redispatching through market price signals uh, to accommodate uh, the lowest cost flows. And, uh, uh, and so then, you know, you got this interface with you know, one world and the other world and how do these work and, uh, and how do you make transmission available uh, without messing up the bilateral markets? Um, that's one of the big issues. It, yeah, um, is that one of the areas of the greatest like tension amongst the uh, the participants is understanding the transmission utilization and compensation for transmission? It seems like that gets yeah. brought up a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough nut to crack. You know what's fair, um, and uh, and at times it's kind of like my my shirt here. Um, you know, with uh, people arguing with each other, you know, be rational, um, get real. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of uh, my metaphor for uh, the RTO world and, uh, and the bilateral market world. Yeah. Um, so and part of what has been like the pitch for Bonneville to join the EIM is this voluntary nature of participation in the EIM. And it, there seems to be an attempt to have participation in the EDAM also voluntary but also right. have binding uh, unit commitments, right? Because if you're going to rely on uh, EDAM day ahead for meeting like sufficiency requirements, you need to have a unit commitment. So that also seems another area of like real tension yeah. in the market design. It, can you, am I, am I thinking of that correctly? And am I hearing that you, tension correctly? You are, um, you know, and, and um, 
again, this is kind of bridging two worlds. Uh, some of the uh, members of the uh, RTO, the, the uh, large utilities uh, that are load serving entities in, in the California ISO, feel like, hey, we don't have a choice. Why do you have a choice? Right. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all in. Uh, so this doesn't seem fair. Uh, for those on the outside, it's like, we don't have good governance. And so one of our safety valves is, you know, we could just drop out if the rules change and it's not fair. Um, and so that's, that's pretty important. But as you say, uh, resource sufficiency is another big test. And um, you know, we have to make sure that as balancing areas uh, that we can rely on the market to provide that day ahead service. And so it can't be, you know, there's a point where it can no longer be voluntary. Right. So I'm, I'm looking forward and it seems like the, the readiness initiative and for good reason was a priority of KISO to prepare for this summer, 2021. Um, and as I look through KISO's stakeholder initiatives, all of the uh, program development for the extended day ahead market and the, there's like a day ahead market enhancements as well. Um, they're both pending. They don't have schedules. Do you think right. that's going to come back up? Is there going to be more momentum to continue to try to solve these problems um, yeah. in the coming year? Or what, what's your, what's your yeah. putting the high yeah, beams no. up? What's coming? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, what we found is in the stakeholder process that um, uh, especially the California entities were, were not really up to speed on what this is. And there is a lot of um, um, conclusions drawn, some of which were not really accurate. And, and so just a lot more communication, a lot more rolling up sleeves, working through things. So it was already taking longer. And then uh, as people were trying to figure out, uh, you know, how do we deal with summer of 21, make sure we don't have uh, shortages and blackouts. Oh, sorry, my cup just slipped. Um, <laughs> You know, we're trying to make sure that we don't have a repeat of 2020. Right. Uh, and so that's the higher priority. And I think the expectation is uh, that we'll get back to uh, more serious conversations and stakeholder processes about uh, EDAM in the fall. That's great. Um, and I, I appreciate you coming on and giving some debrief because it is something smaller. We're, we're a small organization. You remember from your time here, uh, yeah. lim limited staff and uh, having peers that are willing to chat about it and, uh, and give some insights really appreciate. It. So thanks for being a friend of the underground. You bet. I hope you're willing to come back. And I'm also, you manage Ray Johnson, who is deep <laughs> in resource adequacy discussion. Yes, he is. I, on one meeting, he said, I forget how many hours he said a week he's committed to this. Any yeah. chance you can convince him when he's got a free moment to come on Public Power Underground and talk about the resource oh, adequacy I'm, I'm program? I'm sure after he sees me fumble this, uh, he'll say, I could have done that better. And so he'll be happy to come on. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited to see what t-shirt he wears. Uh, he's got yeah, yeah. to be able well, to match your game. You no, know, this is the new business attire, man. It is. It Probably. absolutely is. It's great. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been a wild year. Uh, it's been fun to keep in touch with with y'all and uh, keep in touch with peers across public power. So thanks for yeah. participating. Yeah, no, I'm glad to do it. I, I think this is a fun uh, project, and I'm glad you're doing it. So I appreciate it. appreciate yeah. that, Clay. We'll talk to you later. Okay, virtual high five. Uh. <laughs> Technical management team convened on March 17th to talk about operations leading up to the spring spill season.
For chum operations, Bonneville tail water is to be held at 11.8 feet through April 10th when spring spill regime starts. John Day has a, had a change in seasonal operations. April through mid-June, the minimum pool will be increased to 264.5 feet, a two feet foot increase to deter Caspian tern nesting at the Blaylock Island complex. Claire McGrath of NOAA said this could lead to a one, one to 3% decrease in outgoing smolt predation. Dave Swank of US Fish and Wildlife Service says that there's also an automatic built-in buffer after the end of these high pool operations because the birds take two to three weeks to begin nesting after the islands become available. The full range of pool, 257 to 268 feet, can always be used for flood risk management. U.S. Army Corps of Engineers presented an increase to minimum pool elevation at some lower snake projects in order to make navigation possible. At lower pool levels, they said, shoaling occurs that prevents navigation. It's hoped that funding will be found in-house to dredge the navigation channel, but that won't happen until 2023 at the earliest. Concern was expressed that the outbound smolts are suffering due to a lack of funding. The technical management team will meet next on April 7th. For more information, go to pweb.chromes.org slash TMT. I'm sure Paul's going to put that URL up, up right? It's already up. Um, follow up. <laughs> so it looks like there's a conference call on March 24th. Is that something different than what you pitched on April 7th? It's probably exactly what I should have told people about, but okay. Uh, March 24th. It's only a week later, so it's next week, which is probably not its normal cadence, which was what threw you off. Um, and then another follow up what is shoaling? Anybody know? As I understood it, basically, it's uh, at if the, uh, the pool is kept two feet lower, there's like sandbars that prevent navigation. So that extra two feet of draft is apparently critical. I would ask our special fish correspondent, Brian Fawcett, uh, is that accurate? Yeah, I think it could be sand or rocks, whatever it, uh, you know, whatever is kind of at that shallow step. I, I do have a comment on the, um, the turn, Caspian turn issue. And that outside of ocean conditions, in my um, fisheries opinion, I do not have a degree or anything, is probably the second uh, largest issue for um, our salmon and steelhead in the Northwest. And the fact that we are able to use the dams to uh, address that problem is huge. And I, I think that's awesome. It, it, it goes to show that the dams are not uh, not like one of the main issues uh, for fish. And in, in a lot of cases, they can be helpful. So I uh, all of that went way over my head. So what's the Caspian what? It's a bird. They eat oh. a ton of smolts. And then how do the dams help with this issue of birds? They raise the water level so that the, uh, they can't nest on the sandbars near Astoria. Okay. This or is actually, this is above John Day. Apparently there's some island complexes and they nest up there oh. as well. The one uh, outside of Astoria is a man-made island, I believe. Yeah. And that's the one that they've had hazing operations. And I believe they've, all, they've also like sprayed the nests to make, uh, the eggs unviable and stuff like that so dang it i was confused so i mean it's so. still helpful yeah it still makes sense we're still using the dams to control that population just not in the area that i was it's thinking. yeah it's a close call between the uh, cormorants the terns and the sea lions for what people hate the most yeah fair enough who's next 
Don't be me. APPA's Peter Maloney wrote an article for Wednesday, March 17th, Public Power, uh, Public Power Now newsletter about East Bay Community Energy, a California community choice aggregator signing an agreement with OmConnect for a demand response program. According to Peter's reporting, the contract calls for OmConnect to cut EBCE's demand by 25 megawatts in 2021. The roughly 150,000 active consumers using OmConnect's app receive alerts when grid conditions warrant reductions in energy consumption. OmConnect users that lower their usage compared with their historical usage earn credits or points that are redeemable through the uh, company's website for prizes, purchases, or cash. One point is worth about one cent. For more and for lots of other great content, check out APPA's Public Power Current newsletter. So two things. One, ohm. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. This I, is... As soon as I said ohm, I wonder if I'm going like to be. Ian should be the one correcting that. Yeah. As, as well... the engineer on the call, I could see Brian uh, losing it over there when you, when oh, you said man. that. Oh, man. I may have switched. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it just made me feel so ohm connect. Man, that's that's that the irony that is down. that their name Ohm Connect is uh, resistance is measured in ohms. Yeah. <laughs> you have some <laughs> resistance like, in your connection. It's a great name. Yeah. So I mean, they're trying to uh, you know associate it with zero ohms, right? I don't know. No resistance. I, 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 I would. I, that's way more than I've thought about their name, other than how to pronounce it. So I guess I, I actually have three things. I think the second one is I find demand response programs incredibly interesting, and somebody out there that listens to this podcast feels passionately about demand response programs, and I want to talk to you. So if you feel uh, passionate about them, please come on and talk to us about demand response because. I I have uneducated opinions about demand response, and I would love someone to uh, provide their perspective. Third thing, go ahead, Ian. I was just going to say, I think that their methodology where they pay you for a decrease based on historic demand, I think that's the first time I've ever heard of that. You know, usually it's like, you know, when you get a signal, you have to decrease your demand, but I always assumed it was like decrease it from previous hour or something like that. This one is, uh, you have to, in order to see this price signal, you have to have good information about your historic load. And then, you know, oh, well, uh, my historic load is already so low on this day last year, it's pointless for me to do anything. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm incredibly interested in this topic and in the way people have thought through the complex modeling about demand response and the, uh, one of our favorite terms, the counterfactual of what would load would have been. Third thing, uh, Public Power Now did an interview with Deborah Smith. I highly recommend it. She is, of course, an industry leader. Uh, it was a really good uh, kind of encapsulation of a lot of different topics that she covered, of course, very thoroughly and, and, and well. So if any of you haven't went and listened to Public Power now, and I, do, I really highly recommend it. All right, Public Power Underground got a tip from a friend that eWeb has recently completed the first phase of an electrification study. So as we do, we foisted an interview about the topic on a friend of the underground, the power planning and midterm trading supervisor of Eugene Water and Electric Board, Megan Capper. Hi, Megan. Welcome to Public Power Hello, Underground. Paul. It is so good to be here. Let me tell you. I'm really excited to have you. I have been wanting, you know, I've told you I'm a, I'm a groupie. Um, I have a great idea, though. I think you guys need to send out um, 
uh, autographed pictures of yourself, kind of like they do, you know, for the the newsroid, the news shows. Uh, that's what I think. Instead of, you know, you were talking about those mugs or something, you got to do pictures. Don't you think, I think the mugs are a great idea. We're, we're in a pandemic, we're all in the, these screens, right? So if like you saw somebody on BPA's EIM workshop pick up a public power underground mug, wouldn't you lose your, I'd lose my mind. But maybe, maybe you could just have a, I could put a photo kind of here, back, put the photo back here, signed, look what I have. Well, eventually somebody's going to get the anadromous belt, right? Yes. And when they get the anadromous <laughs> belt, if that's in a background, I will also lose my mind. I really want that in like a BPA workshop in the background. I love it. I love it. No, I really do. You guys are doing um, a great service to all of us. I, I, like I said, I, I love you. Well, uh, we're having fun. And that is the key in this weird time to trying to find outlets for fun, outlets for having great conversations with cool people. So yes. And your variety of topics is phenomenal. Love it. That's the benefit of being like a, a power department and a small utility. We have to we have to span all of these topics in our normal work life. Yeah. It's like this is part of a small utility is a yeah. wide plate. Okay, hey, why. how did you do? How did you do with the um, daylight savings? I, I thought it was a great episode. I thought it was absolutely a sure. wonderful conversation. We got some great quips. Humira gave us some great um, like energy efficiency tips, which got me thinking, like, how much would you be willing to invest in energy efficiency to offset just going to daylight savings time all the time? Like, I'd be willing, like, I'd pay thousands of dollars in energy efficiency upgrades on my home just to prevent, like, the daylight, the daylight savings time transition. Yeah. Think about I'll it. Look, I look forward to listening to that one. Yeah, that's great. It's I think it's a really good episode. Awesome. So we okay. got a tip, yeah. a news tip from a friend of the underground Ooh. that tells me that eWeb is wrapping up an electrification study, the first phase of one. And yeah. I was wondering, like, what's the what's the takeaways? What's going on with your electrification study? Well, and what'd you find? Well, let me let me start. Um excited to tell you about this because because it really has been fun. Um I kind of, I'll tell you how we started with this. And we had um, our board and our general manager were talking about how, you know, electrifying technologies can be both challenges and uh, provide opportunities. So there really has to be done right. Um, the opportunities obviously are that can support our community's climate uh, recovery goals. Uh, but also, if it's not done thoughtfully and intentionally, um, you know, you can risk uh, just diminished carbon benefits and, and unintended effects like uh, declining reliability or price increases that, that really aren't rational and, and, and don't need to happen. Right. So um, our board uh, kicked off, ooh, it was um, a little over a year ago, what we called our, the first phase of our um, electrification study. We wanted to look at, you know, um, some of the questions that came up were, how will the demand uh, for electricity change over time? Okay. And then what risks does eWeb need to plan for and mitigate for? Um, and we're also looking at, hopefully the results of our study will provide us with some insights on what are some products and services our customers might expect. And then this whole um, distribution, what is the impact on our distribution, on our transmission, and then our generation? 
So, you know, that's all, those are a lot of questions, um, but that's kind of what was the impetus to really get us to start this. So I think it's going to be a long range. Even after our phase two, we, we probably will continue to have important questions um, to answer. So yeah, I think the way you frame it, though, is really important. And I think questions that we all have, right? I mean, the way yeah. to think about electrification in any utility. So it's a great framing. Um, and hopefully you got some good results that you can you can tip out. Um, we did. Um, we looked at things uh, on average during our, we used a one in 10 peak and then looked at the, like I said, the carbon, potential carbon impact. A couple of things that we, you know, found is first of all, electrification will add to our load over time. Um, that is something that I think we knew, but now we have an idea of about how much um, we, under high electrification by 2050, we average about a 20% increase. And then our peak uh, is, a, our one in 10 peak is uh, about an increase of 50 to 70%. So if you think about it, our average is 270, you know, that's just not a lot. 20% increase on average, and then our peak is 550, uh, 50 to 70%. It's, it's not a lot. And under, if you think about it, under current legislation, um, the increase is, you know, is expected to be slow, slow enough so we can um, adapt and uh, implement some mitigation tactics, um, which I did. Uh, I knew that you would be excited to talk about mitigation because I know you guys have your EV subscription, but we found that it is really um, significant. It's, it adds, an, if by 2050, if we do not manage our, um, manage the, the EV load, we can increase a whole, a whole other hundred megawatts on peak. So it's really important that we do our best to educate customers and maybe even incentivize um, in, in some ways via rates uh, to move that 7 p.m. peak into that midnight time frame. Yeah, so it's, it's one of the areas we did some back of the envelope stuff when we were thinking about EVs and electrification of our motor, uh, transportation. And we're not very sophisticated. You know, it's, it's uh, Paul Dockery did some back of the envelope stuff, right? But it's, you know, it's not that hard to think about the effects in that you, the, the risk to your peak is real. And the risk to your peak way outweighs the benefits of increased energy sales. So b figuring out how to oh, mitigate... Yeah. Figuring out how to mitigate is really important. So have you thought through tactics for mitigation or is this still in the first phase of like, what's the problem? So this is in the first stage. It's looking at what are the jaws of uncertainty. Um, we, uh, we do have um, some programs. We have programs for um, incentives for residential and commercial charging. And then we have uh, implemented some education around how um, uh, to push all you know, electric use uh, that typically peaks in the evening into that 10 p.m. through 6 a.m. time period, our light load hours. Uh, but we, I, I, I'm sure at the end of this, uh, we will be looking at other types of products that we can provide to our customers. So you mentioned this is the first phase of your electrification yes. study. So what's going to go into the second phase? Well, you know, um, when we looked at our scenarios for um, our EVs and for the building electrification, our, our, we looked at um, residential, commercial, uh, water and space heating. We, um, we really just said, let's take what's our low, uh, low, we, the low scenario, medium scenario and high scenario. And it was 10, 50 and 80. Well, we all know that what's going to drive those adoption rates are costs. 
And so this phase, we're putting in um, a cost-benefit methodology, and that's going to really um, hone in on what is the what truly is uh, going to be the impact. A little bit better forecasting. So you're telling me that I'm, I'm just hearing this for the first time. I'm interpreting. I'm going to try to feed back to you what I've heard. So is that instead of just doing this, what was it, the 10, 50, 80? I forget the numbers now. You're actually going to try to optimize around, given the people's out-of-pocket costs for some of these programs, what you would actually expect the adoption to be like uh, based on their cost. Okay. Think about if, you know, when you, when you uh, wanted to buy an EV, you look at what your payback, what your, and, and, and how long, how, how long is that? And so we're going to incorporate those measures into it. That's awesome. Uh, it's a really interesting yeah. study, really interesting work. Um, I'd love to have you back on to talk more about phase two. Yeah, great. And I would also, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and pitch it like easiest way to manage charging is workplace charging at an outlet, a 110 outlet. You get a lot of, uh, just spread that energy sales out. Just spread it out, Megan. Just Love it. it out. Love it. Oh, you guys done a wonderful job with that. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I would love to come back. It's good Thank stuff. Thank you for being a friend of the underground. Thanks for being a, a, a loyal listener. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Great, Great conversation. Right. You take care. Yep. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. The System Analysis Advisory Committee met on March 17th to talk about the Council's system modeling approach for the 2021 Power Plan. In the early coal retirement scenario discussion, John Aulis walked us through some findings, some of which were new, counterintuitive revelations. In the scenario, less resources are built in the Southwest, and almost twice as much in, is built in the Northwest, but less is built overall. So we remove coal early from the region's portfolio and fewer total resources are built. The explanation of, this of a possible reason for this counterintuitive finding mostly went over my head, but all this hypothesized that it could be due to the location of the early retirements, mostly in the Northwest and, and addressing a need for winter reserve margins and non-Northwest power pool regions not building to reserve margins in the scenario, which might be indicative of a bug in the model. Also counterintuitively, it looks like clean policy targets are not met by 2029 in the scenario, the early coal retirement scenario, though they were met until 2037 in the baseline. Allis said, when you remove this many baseline resources, the capacity contribution of renewable resources changes significantly. Basically, as I understood it, um, more renewable curtailments happen when coal is retired early. The SAC then switched gears to talking about the updated needs assessment. Assumptions around market reliance have been updated to limit imports from the Southwest in the summer. Out of region solar, uh, makes a dramatic import-export day-night cycle dyna uh, dynamic that increases in magnitude over time. Basically, the, uh, the Northwest Hydro is operating as a battery. Um, uh, interesting takeaway story is that the required reserve margin needed to meet a 5% loss of load probability uh, falls over time on a peak and energy basis. The reason is that a lot of low variable cost renewables are being built in, in the WEC and Northwest Hydro, Hydro is well positioned to utilize available surpluses. Um, also, there's a great example of why I hate, hate graphs with multiple scales on the y-axis on page 28 of the needs assessment. Basically, what happens here, uh, I was staring at this for a long time, and 
trying to puzzle how uh, the energy need can be exactly the same as the, uh, the capacity need in 2023 Q1. Then somebody else asked a question that uh, caused me to notice that indeed there is a separate scale on the right side, uh, which is completely different. And uh, send, send me all of your hate mail. I'm, I'm happy to answer, answer all those. Uh, you too, John. There was something about your resource adequacy obligations decreased over time because of the low variable cost renewable being built. Is that what I, I, I believe it was the need to build to meet uh, a reserve margin necessary to get down to 5% loss of load probability. So basically- So is it that the reserve margin decreased or the need to build because you're building so that- It's the need to build. Okay. Um, and John, We're, please send me an email if I didn't understand that correctly. I'm, I'm trying to get John on the, on the show to do a guest, a guest appearance. So maybe we can ask him the question then. Um, anyway, we can move on for this, for this week and come back and, and have John tell us what all we got wrong in the future. We'll actually see if he listens to the pod. See if he, uh, John, send us a note see if you listen. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you can definitely take away from this is that it's super complicated and we're really lucky to have smart people like John Olis on the case. So the next meeting is on March 31st for the SAC. Am I reading that right? Yep. Apparently I skipped the last paragraph of my, uh, I think I cut you <laughs> my... off. Okay. Uh, the next SAC meeting is on the 31st. For more information, check out the council's website at nwcouncil.org. Perfect. Thanks, Ian. Who's next? All right. A buzzy trend in Wall Street financing. Special purpose acquisition companies, which are commonly referred to as blank check companies that raise money to acquire private businesses and take them public, are being considered as financing vehicles for electric vehicle public charging companies looking to fund growth. In an article on Financial Times, the reporter Gregory Meyer dives into a similar theme we've considered here at Public Power Underground, the path to profitability for many electric vehicle public charging private ventures remains murky. The electric vehicle public charging uh, private ventures business model is unsettled. Some sell electricity, some sell equipment and software. And one example, Volta, a San Francisco based company gives the electricity away for free and sells advertising at its stations. Check out the article for more in-depth discussion. You can find it on Financial Times titled, Vehicle Chargers Follow Wall Street Buzz to Plug into Specs. I really love this guy's reporting because he has the same questions that I have about like, how what's your business model? And uh, I, uh, I, I thought it was really good talk through of the different business models people are trying. I, of course, have an opinion that electric utilities are a really natural place, uh, especially rural electric utilities, to own electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Because if you're going to have a private investment firm and it gets low utilization in a rural community, they probably aren't going to invest in the maintenance of electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And your customers probably are not going to have high satisfaction with that infrastructure. Whereas we, as electric utilities, have, of course, uh, it's part of our mission to maintain our system and provide good value services. BPA's preference customers' regional dialogue contracts expire in 2028, and the post-2028 conversation has begun. While nearly seven years feels like a long time, multilateral uh, negotiations that involve a federal agency have long time frames. BPA's initiative to engage customers has been dubbed the provider of choice. 
Um, they have a website for the provider of choice. You can visit it on Bonneville's website. Um, I Googled to find it. PPC invited Bonneville to attend its rates and contracts work group as a venue to engage with customers. The expectation that with a venue set, we can start, the expectation is that with a venue set, set we can start getting into the meat of the discussions, which is what us public power geeks are really excited about. Uh, so pull up a seat, get out the popcorn and notepad and let's go. For more, you can reach out to your Bonneville account executive or find additional materials on Bonneville's provider of choice website. Some solid marketing there calling themselves the provider of choice. Yeah, it is It is aspirational, I would say. And they do communicate that, that they want to be the provider of choice. And they're kind of, you know, acknowledging that uh, customers have a choice. Okay, that's all the news we're covering this week. Send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter, at a power manager. Or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Any corrections from last week, Paul? No. But, okay, so I thought about this today, okay? This feels a little bit like um, the end of the first season of Public Power Underground. Um, in some way, we've already, like, the one-year part is, is a natural, like, end of season one. So I've been thinking about um, maybe some new entry music, okay? So think, there's this song. It's like, hey, pretty shiny people. We all rise together. You guys familiar with this song at all? No, there's a, that, let me, it's, it's like George. I love Edgar. Brian looking around. <laughs> I was looking for Megan. Hey, public power people. Hey, public power people. We all rise together. Isn't that great? You need me to record a ukulele jam? Yes, I need a ukulele jam. And I have, I, I think I can get Guillory to actually sing it. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this in the thread. We're gonna we're gonna dream about the lots. You know, it's a good song. Hey, uh, I've got a question, Paul. I've talked okay. so much on on the video this week. Can I just take next week off? You know what, Ian? You've earned it. I think you can take next week off. Next week we get uh, Brian's on vacation too, so we get two guest co-stars. Sarah Johnson has agreed to be a guest co-star coming back. And Megan Stratman from NRU also has agreed to be a guest co-star. And I will give a plug that Libby Kalnan from Hood River Electric Cooperative has agreed to come on Slumming with the Underground. I expect it to be lit. That's, I'm very excited about next week's episode. I'm sad that I'm missing out on the episode with Libby. We used to be uh, co-workers at Columbia River Beauty, so I'll have to catch up with her later. We're not gonna still going to be doing Hawaii. this in December, though, right? That's, a, that's the real question. Are we still going to be doing this in December? I well, don't know. This, this, it, I, don't, I think the people are going to demand it. Paul, know. does uh, does Sarah know that she's in the running for the the anadromous belt? Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that you... Klatskin IPUD <laughs> staff and personnel are not eligible for the belt. Otherwise, that belt would be right here on this shoulder. No, it wouldn't. You've taken so much vacation. It's, uh, who, like, it's like between me and Ian, I think. Second. Yeah, it would. Oh, be. hey, you're still, you're all power department. That, that you know, kind of disqualifies you. I'm coming on as a, I don't know why yeah. you're drawing the line at the power department. I mean, it's the district. If you're staff of the district, you are called. Because it, it, it means that I can make an argument for the belt. That's why I'm drawing the line there. I've seen enough professional wrestling to know 
that just because you're ineligible doesn't mean that you can't waltz down yes. completely un, unscripted and take the belt by force. You pay the iron price for that belt. Yeah, pay the iron price. I love I'll be it. walking in with a uh, with a chair. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just kidding. That's really not happening. I'm not threatening any violence. I don't uh, know that you uh, had to uh, note that you were just kidding. I think maybe that made it seem more realistic <laughs> than if you just hadn't said it. Yeah, you that part. felt awkward. I, I I didn't want people to think I was serious. This whole thing feels awkward. And, 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 no, 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 everybody knows not to take it seriously at this point. Oh, man. All right, guys, I've got a lot of really important work to do. So. I got a lot of work to get done. What do we got, Brian? Uh, well, I think we'll we'll just skip all the talk about next week and say that's all we have for this week because we already covered what's what's going on next week. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content. I promise it won't be rickrolling you with that video we just showed. On Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. We don't have a satisfying number of five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts yet. If you have access to the Apple Podcast app, do us a favor of hitting us up with five stars and writing a glowing review. It'll make us feel good for all the work we put into the show every week and justify our time to management at Klatskin IPUD. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Public Power Underground is a pandemic diversion for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. The views here expressed are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated or doing business with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Megan and Clay feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it for the other people feel, to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.